Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. In very sad breaking news today, Joe Morgan has passed away. Joe Morgan was and is the greatest second baseman post-integration of all time. 77 years old. Some of you may only know him, believe it or not, as an announcer. He teamed with John Miller for 21 years on ESPN calling games, Sunday night baseball. I knew Joe Morgan as Tony Perez's teammate in the Big Red Machine. I have a nickname, Sparky given to me by Jack McKeon. Sparky Anderson was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, the Big Red Machine. Tony Perez was a special assistant to me for 16 years in Florida. And we talked a lot about his teams in Cincinnati, the championships they won in 1975 and 1976. And Tony Perez would always tell me that Joe Morgan was the glue that held that team together. It's hard to repeat. We know there hasn't been a repeat champion since the Yankees in 98, 99, and 2000. The Reds were a dynasty. And Joe Morgan, along with Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, remember George Foster? And he won a silver slugger so he could hit. He won gold gloves, five of them. He could field. He was the National League MVP the two years the Reds won the championship in 75 and 76. You're not talking about an ordinary player. You're talking about an extraordinary Hall of Fame player. I had the chance so many times to meet Joe Morgan. He and I saw eye to eye. He was not a big guy. He was actually a little taller than Jose Altuve and only an inch or two taller than I. But he had this presence when he would walk in a room and the glee that he would feel when he would see Tony, it's like seeing an old friend. It's like putting on an old, comfortable pair of slippers or pajamas, thinking back to the way baseball was. Those guys who played for that big red machine, they did everything right. Dave Concepcion. And they would watch today's baseball, and they'd wonder why you couldn't drive a runner in with a man on third under one out, why you couldn't sacrifice a player over, put a ball in play. They didn't quite understand the true outcome that we talk about now where it's walks and home runs and strikeouts because they found a way to get jewelry by not doing those things, by being all around fundamental baseball players. Hall of Famer Joe Morgan will be missed. It has been a year that I don't remember. And of course, we always say that when you watch the past year's passings, But this year just seems different to me. Tom Seaver passed away recently. Bob Gibson. Whitey Ford. Joe Morgan. It's off the top of my head. Four Hall of Famers in the past month, it feels. My best wishes and warmest condolences to his family, his friends, his teammates. And just know this, Joe. I promise that your legacy lives on. Because within clubhouses, it may not happen on Twitter. 
But within clubhouses, your name is spoken about as a player who played the right way on the field and acted the right way off the field. Rest in peace, Joe. Risk tolerance. There's no way to segue out of death, Coca. We can't do it. Risk tolerance, nothing personal word of the day. Sort of a phrase which shows what a bad segue it is because you just, just the show goes on. It's the amazing thing about life and death. The show just goes on. Why are we talking about risk tolerance? The biggest news of the weekend, which is saying quite a bit, because if you had the weekend that I had, it was a panoply of sports. Just yesterday, I was watching the American League Championship Series Game 1, the NBA Finals Game 6, Sunday Night Football, when Russell Wilson went to 5-0, and beating the Vikings in a ridiculous game. Watched the end of the Giants-Cowboys game, which was the 425 game, when the Giants almost beat the Cowboys. But the big news out of the game and the biggest news of the weekend which is saying something given what I said just went on to say nothing to the fact that the Yankees got eliminated this weekend by the Rays as well. It may have been Friday night is that Dak Prescott, the quarterback, the franchise quarterback who we've been talking about a nothing personal all off season because he and Jerry Jones could not come to an agreement on a long-term deal. Dak Prescott ended up getting franchise tagged a concept we explained on previous shows. It means he had a one-year deal at 30 million plus. Dak Prescott is leading the Cowboys while they were off to a horrible start. Should have been 0-4, but they're 1-3. Dak Prescott was having a historic start to the season. I want to say 450 yards plus each game. That could be wrong, but it feels like something I read. But either way, franchise quarterback. Gets tackled, and all of a sudden, I'm watching because the games, the NBA game and the ALCS had not yet started. About six and a half minutes left in the third quarter. And every play in football, when there's a tackle, you scratch your head and wonder, how was that person not in the hospital? If I got hit like that, I'd be dead. Dak Prescott got hit. And all of a sudden, he's down. And the camera is showing his leg. And it did not look right. It was a Joe Theismann tackle not as fierce as the Lawrence Taylor tackle on Joe Theismann, but the result was the same. Dak Prescott has a compound dislocated fracture in his ankle. When CBS realized the seriousness of the injury, in the beginning they didn't. They thought maybe he just was down. Maybe he was tired. When they realized and they looked at the tape and showed it all of a sudden, The cart, the ambulance cart comes on the field. They show Jerry Jones gasping. They show Jason Garrett, his former head coach, now the offensive coordinator of the team they were playing, running on the field. Mike McCarthy masked going on the field. Cowboys players one at a time, taking a knee, praying. Dak Prescott's ankle required immediate surgery Sunday night. Successful surgery. And the question is, what does this mean for Dak Prescott's career? What does it mean for future NFL players when they are offered guaranteed money? 
What does it mean to owners who dish out contracts and add guaranteed money when, in fact, they don't need to because NFL contracts are not guaranteed? Let's talk about the business of this injury because there is a significant story here. You're allowed to franchise tag a player two times. Next year, Dak Prescott would be eligible for another tag, which would be a raise over the $30 million he's making this year. If you're Jerry Jones, you're definitely not signing Dak Prescott to a long-term deal now. You have to really ask yourself whether you're going to tag him and pay him at all. If you don't tag him, he could become a free agent. Andy Dalton, their backup quarterback who played for the Bengals, is not a number one, not a quarterback to lead the Dallas Cowboys back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 25 years. But will Dak Prescott return from this injury to become and be the player he was? Everyone's saying the right things. The doctors, Jerry Jones, his teammates. Jerry Jones had a statement that was extremely telling in what it didn't say. He talked about how heartbroken he feels for Dak and how disappointing the injury is. He talks about how he knows Dak very well and he knows the personal hardship and strife referring to what happened during COVID with the loss of his brother. Remember the whole Skip Bayless thing with Dak we talked about a few weeks ago where Skip Bayless was making fun of Dak Prescott, telling him to focus on the field. Jerry Jones talked about how prepared Dak was every game. Talked about his toughness, mental, emotional toughness. Talked about that Dak Prescott will respond and recover from this challenge. Talked about what an inspiration he is. Talked about he has no doubt that he'll return to the position of leadership and purpose that he brings to our team. What didn't he talk about? He didn't talk about whether he's going to pay him $37.6 million on a one-year franchise tag next year. He didn't talk about whether or not he still believes that Dak Prescott is his quarterback of the future. That would be a simple sentence to put in a statement like this. We have built this team around Dak, and we will be here when he's back because he will lead our team into the future. Why didn't Jerry Jones say that? Because there is no way to guarantee that that is the case. None. If you are an owner of a team, you cannot sign him long-term. If you're Dak Prescott, you know very well what's in your head. You know that you turned down, which he did. He turned it down. A $34.5 million AAV over five years with over $100 million guaranteed. He turned it down. He wanted more. Is he worth more? Not relevant to me. Did he deserve more? Not important. The reality is that football players are not guaranteed the next play. You can say the same thing about baseball. You can get hit in the face with a baseball. Yes, you can. That's how we got Giancarlo Sand to sign a long-term deal. It is rare that position players get an injury where they're out or their career trajectory changes. Pitchers, it happens. One pitch away from Tommy John, one pitch away from a torn labrum. Football is way more common to have career-altering injuries. When you are offered guaranteed money 
you have got to take it. And you take a discount because by definition in football, the guarantee of performance does not exist to the level it does in the other sports. Therefore, you are going to have to take a discount, not a premium. And what Dak always felt is he deserved a premium for being the top one or two quarterback, just slot in maybe right below Patrick Mahomes. Now, he got his one-year franchise tag, and I don't think he's going to get another one. I don't think that Dallas can afford to have $37.6 million of its cap used on a player where there is no certainty. Now, people are saying he's back next year. Everything will be good. When you're the owner of a team, you can't take the word of the doctor. You have to look at the player and you have to see the player perform and proof of health before you sign a deal with a player, even a franchise tag one-year deal. You cannot take $37 million of cap space on a hope and a prayer. The risk tolerance calculation that NFL players have used in the past has got to change. The numbers have gotten to the point where if you're in a position to grab some guaranteed money, you got to do it. NFL owners will take advantage of this imbalance in risk tolerance because Jerry Jones wants the anger disappointment and frustration wears off, which it will in the coming days. He will look to his GM and he will say, Jerry, I'm glad I didn't give you permission to increase your offer to Dak. And I'm glad he's not signed. The GM, Jerry, will look at Jerry and say, Jerry, we're better with Dak, but we don't know if Dak is going to be Dak. So if I were the owner, Jerry, I may move on and change the makeup of this team. Jerry and Jerry will be having a lot of meetings in the coming months as they figure out what to do. But you heard it here on Nothing Personal that the risk tolerance for owner Jerry and GM Jerry has now changed. More breaking news on Indigenous Peoples Day. Rick Renteria has been fired by the Chicago White Sox in a very surprising move in my mind. I actually thought that I was the only person who fired managers after a great season. But as it turns out, we're adding Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, and Rick Hahn to that list. Owner of the White Sox, President of Baseball Ops, and GM. Rick Renteria had been managing the White Sox through four seasons. 236 and 309. He is known as a great, great guy. Actually, he's now been fired by the Cubs and the White Sox, Coca. How do you like that? I would say I'm going to have this is obviously ridiculous because we always say that's never happened before, but everything's happened before. He may be the first manager fired by both Chicago teams. Maybe. Sort of makes sense that he would be. I can't think of anyone else. So why did the White Sox do this today? Very bizarre to me. What happened? The White Sox went 35 and 25 in 60 games, made the playoffs, slumped a little bit toward the end of the season, lost the division, played the A's, and took the A's to three games and lost in the wild card round. Great young core with Mankata, Lucas Giolito, a number two starter, pitches like a number one, had a no hitter this year. 
Louis Robert, who they just signed, who's a superhero. They brought in veterans, Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez and Edwin Encarnacion. They went 10 over 500. Rick Renteria's first season as a manager over 500. He went 73 and 89 with the Cubs, got fired, hired by the White Sox. He won. Hold on. I actually wrote this down, if you can believe it. 67 games in 17, 62 and 18, 72 and 19. That means he lost 95, 189, and then went 35 and 25 in 2020. I think what the White Sox are saying here is that they need a different voice because they're worried that over a 162-game season, the 60-game sample size would not have continued. It would not have been indicative of a 162-game season. We've had great talks on nothing personal about this. We've done it in terms of the Marlins. We've done it in terms of the Reds. As we looked at teams who made the playoffs, may have outperformed in a small sample size, and whether or not you change your evaluation. Remember I told you when you go into a season and you're not sure how good you're going to be and you let yourself get into August and you're in the race, you say, you know what? I may have evaluated wrong. Or if you thought you were going to be good and you're not good, you ignore it in April, you ignore it in May, you ignore it in June, you say there's going to be a switch that's flipped and you ignore when a good team plays badly until the end of the season. That's how delusional you are when you run a team because you always think we did this in 05 with the Marlins. We did it in 16 with the Marlins where you think it's just going to happen that the switch will be turned on. I don't think the White Sox felt that. I think that we're going to know a lot about this Rick Renteria firing the minute they hire a new manager. Are they going to hire a disciplinary? Rick Renteria is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Are they going to hire a young manager? I talked about this on... The Q talking about what Tampa Bay did when they hired Joe Madden. He was a coach, an up-and-coming manager. No one knew what kind of manager he'd be. He's now going to be in the Hall of Fame as a manager. So you can go with the young, unproven first-time manager, or you bring in a retread, as we call him. That sounds negative and pejorative. I don't mean it to be. It's someone who's been hired and fired before. Someone who commands immediate respect when they walk into a clubhouse. I think that's the way the White Sox are going to go. Jerry Reinsdorf is an octogenarian, understands that he wants to get his second ring. He has six with the Bulls, one with the White Sox. White Sox haven't won since 05. 15 years, it'll be 16 years and 21. I think they bring in someone, we'll find out, someone with experience. Because I think when they evaluate their team, they say to themselves, we've got the core here and we've got to get someone to come in and get this core to perform now. It's going to be sort of interesting to think about when you make decisions. You know, Coca is in my ear saying that he's got a managerial candidate that would be a great candidate for the White Sox. And he's thinking, why not hire the former Red Sox manager and Astros bench coach, the suspended Alex Cora, whose suspension will end the minute the World Series is decided, no later than October 28th. That's a very interesting choice. Jerry Reinsdorf is very progressive in that way. Would certainly give Alex Cora another chance, I believe. Would be able to manage any sort of bad press that could come. I think that he's also been very, very serious about diversity 
having diverse managers. He can deal with all types of personalities, having won the World Series with Ozzie Guillen. I think that's a very good name, Coca. I don't know whether or not they'll go that direction. What I do know is we'll do another segment when they do hire a manager because we will then know exactly what Reinsdorf, Williams, and Hahn think about their team and think about its readiness to win and think about whether or not 2020 was a blip or whether it was indicative of the team that they have. Breaking news, Rick Renteria fired. What else happened yesterday? Well, someone was watching basketball because I got a great question to answer. What do we got, Coca? You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's from the movie Half-Baked. That's when you get into my Twitter or Instagram at David P. Samson. Ask a question. If it's sort of an interesting topic, topical, trending, we'll try to cover it on the show. I'll try to answer as many as I can, but they're open to the public. Get in there and ask a question. The question was about the Los Angeles Lakers, who while you were sleeping, well, you probably were awake. There was so much sports on. The Lakers are the NBA champions. The Lakers successfully stayed in the bubble, won in the bubble, persevered in the bubble. LeBron James won his fourth NBA Finals MVP. His fourth ring. Teamed up with Anthony Davis to create not a big three, but a big two with a bunch of role players behind him. Took a scrappy Miami Heat team. Got him in six games. The game was over upon the introductions of the players last night. They were not going to let this go to a seventh game. LeBron James was not going to let his legacy be endangered by a seventh loss in the finals. The question that was asked of me, and so you want to talk to Samson. I saw you tweet about LeBron's legacy. Did he need to win another title to stay in the GOAT discussion? And I'm going to get a lot of trouble for this, Coco, but I'll tell you right now. If the Los Angeles Lakers had lost this series to the Miami Heat, there would be no GOAT discussion with LeBron in it. You can't go three and seven in the finals, no matter the asterisk associated with 2020. And be considered the greatest of all time. You cannot catch and surpass Michael Jordan or even Kobe Bryant with three titles and seven losses. It's outstanding to make it that far, but you have to win the ring. No one remembers second place. No one remembers the loser. Even at four and six, LeBron needs another one, in my opinion, to be the greatest of all time. And even then, I don't think he catches Jordan. By tying Kobe with five, and winning a second with the Lakers, he would pass Kobe. And no matter what Frank Vogel said, the coach of the Lakers, because you have to ignore what a coach says about his own player, he's definitely going to say his own player is the greatest of all time. But you cannot be the greatest of all time without the concomitant rings. 
the reason why that's an unpopular point of view is that there's a recency bias that exists when you're talking about the greatest of all time. And there are people who don't know Michael Jordan. They haven't seen Michael Jordan. They know him as the owner. They know him as the star of the last dance. They didn't live through it. And LeBron James was their current player who they've seen. And LeBron James is clearly on the podium for the greatest of all time. But the difference with Michael Jordan, and I've been saying this to anyone who will listen to all the young people who only have data points from LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Michael Jordan was an assassin. Michael Jordan doesn't lose game five the way the Lakers lost game five to the Heat. Michael Jordan makes sure that no matter what happens at the end of the game, the ball goes through him. LeBron James did it in game five when he got the shot off, when he got the pass to Danny Green being triple teamed by Eric Spolster in the heat. Danny Green missed the shot in game five. By the way, on a side note, if you know anyone who sent death threats to Danny Green or you approve of someone sending death threats on social media to Danny Green and his fiance because he missed a goddamn shot, then you need to unknow that person. If you want to take it to another level and tell that person that he needs to get or she needs to get a life or just go to prison, it's pathetic. Danny Green actually had to respond to the death threats by asking people to keep their eye on the ball and hoping that people are just as passionate about systemic racism and racial inequality, which he has been helping to educate people, getting people to vote. And he took it in a way that I don't know that I would take it. I've gotten, unfortunately, death threats, and uh, it's not pleasant. And you, you try to understand why people would do it, and I don't. It's a game. I understand that you have an emotional attachment, but you're talking about someone's life. So Danny Green had an opportunity to shot. He missed it. BFD. Big effing deal. He missed a shot. You won your ring two days later. Michael Jordan knew when to pass the ball. He had people to shoot when he did pass it, whether it's Jim Paxson or Steve Kerr. Knew when to drive to the hole. LeBron James is able to do those things too. But there was a time with LeBron when he didn't want to take the last shot when he was a pass first guy. When you look at their games and you look at their instincts, their killer instincts, and that is a horrible pun to use, Coca. Cut it out of the show. Three, two, one. When you look at LeBron James and his winning instinct, it has evolved over time. He can take over games, but not the way Jordan could. He can get to the line, not the way Jordan could. He can make his teammates better, but not the way Jordan could. LeBron James becomes the first player to win an MVP for three teams in the finals, having won two rings with the Heat, one with the Cavs, and now one with the Lakers. Do not misunderstand me, Ruben, if you're listening. He is the second greatest player of all time. Give me another ring, and we get to talk more. I don't know why you're triggered, Coca, but you can talk about it after the break. Because when we get back from the break, il faut que nous parlons de la vie d'amour. Paris, we'll be right back. 
The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think there'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We've got a trending show to talk about. Yes, we do. I watched this show that came out on Netflix. And uh, I I thought it was supposed to be really good. It's called Emily in Paris. It stars Lily Collins, who is Phil Collins' daughter. Phil Collins, the lead singer of Genesis, the solo career lead, Phil Collins. The purported anti-Semite Phil Collins. Well, his daughter's an actress, and she took this part because she plays Emily. And it takes place in Paris, and it's created by Darren Starr. So I thought it would be something more than cotton candy. Darren Starr did Beverly Hills 90210. He did Sex in the City. He's done some shows that I've loved. Emily in Paris season one stinks. It is the most cliched show I've ever seen. Every single French person is rude. Every single French guy is hot. Every single French woman is hot. They dress as though they're going to a fashion show when they're going to a cafe to get a cafe au lait. That's L-A-I-T. Get your head out of the gutter, Coca. That means milk. Not the song by James. Do you know that song, Coca? I bet you don't. That may be from my childhood. There's a song called Laid. I think it's by a guy named James. Coca, you alive? Hello? Hello? Norman? Norman? Nope. In any case, totally cliched. The cinematography is beautiful. The reason I watched the whole season is that I wanted to see which guy she'd end up with. Cliffhanger, spoiler alert, multiple men, one better looking than the last. She meets people sitting on the park in the Jardin du Luxembourg. I don't know. I've been to Paris. I worked in Paris for years. 
been there so many times. I Listen, the women are beautiful. The men are beautiful, but not all of them. I could write the storyline before it happens. You've got her boss, who's a French woman who, who hates Americans. You've got French men who love the American girl. It's just, it's crazy. Emily in Paris, season one. Do yourself a favor. If you've never been to Paris, watch a few episodes. If you have been to Paris, watch a few episodes. You don't have to make it all the way through because once you see the beauty of her clothes, the beauty of Paris, take my word for it, the rest puts the M in mediocre. Emily in Paris, season one. Paris gets a triple thumbs up as my favorite city in the world. The show, predictable, full of cliches, gets a triple thumbs down. Okay, so we've talked basketball. We've talked football. We've talked breaking news. There was baseball yesterday. Game one of the American League Championship Series took place between the Houston Astros, the hated Houston Astros, and the Tampa Bay Rays, that same team who beat the Yankees 2-1. to one. Did we talk about the Yankee series on Friday's show? I think the game was Friday night, Coca. The Tampa Bay Rays who beat the Yankees in a deciding game five, two to one. When Araldis Chapman gave up another series ending home run. Remember, he gave up the home run to the buzzer wearing Altuve in the LCS. Gave up a home run to a undrafted third baseman named Mike Brousseau. An eighth inning home run. And the Yankees in the ninth inning could not score against Diego Castillo, a pitcher you may never have heard of. In game five, they went with Tyler Glasnow on two days rest for two innings, followed up with Nick Anderson, who can't be touched, but gave up a home run for two innings, brought in Fairbanks for a couple, Castillo for a couple. Everyone's saying, who are these guys? These guys are 98 mile an hour throwing bullpen arms, paid the minimum, who are better when the, than the Yankees who brought out Garrett Cole for 324 mil, followed him up by Zach Britton making eight figures. When I say that, you know, I can't remember his contract, but it's over 10 million a year. Followed up by Araldis Chapman, who I know exactly his contract because the Yankees had an out offer what we offered him to become a Marlin when he was a free agent. I may be doing the math wrong, Coca, but I bet you the three Yankee pitchers who pitched game five and lost game five to the Rays make more money than the entire Rays team. I think I'm right. There's no way to do that math right now during the show, but let's assume I'm right. And if I'm wrong, someone will correct me and we'll correct it. So the Rays beat the Yankees. They're the number one seed. They'd beaten the Yankees during the 60-game regular season eight out of 10 times. Not a surprise. We picked the Rays to beat the Yankees. MLB's pissed. Steinbrenner can't even talk about it. Aaron Boone is despondent. And Brian Cashman is saying, wow, I'm really not doing enough winning to merit an extension because I only have a year left on my deal. Maybe I should go work for Steve Cohn and the Mets. But the Rays move on but the Rays have a tremendous disadvantage in this coming series. And the disadvantage is that there are no off days. 
It's a far greater disadvantage to the Rays than the Astros. It's a seven-game series, all played in San Diego. Great weather, great food, great running, but no off days. First team to win four games goes to the World Series and wins the American League pennant. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to have to lean on other bullpen arms, and you saw it in game one against the Astros. Did Nick Anderson pitch? No. Fairbanks? No. But Castillo closed it out with another multi-inning save in a close two-to-one win game after Altuve hit a home run off Blake Snell, who did a five-and-dive, which is all he does. Former Cy Young Award winner, never pitches six innings, always five-and-dive. So it seems that their manager, Kevin Cash, is going to be willing to use one of their top three bullpen arms multiple days in a row. So Castillo will have off today in game two, but they can come back with Nick Anderson and Fairbanks. I'm totally blanking on Fairbanks' first name, which is why I call him Nick Anderson and Fairbanks and Diego Castillo. I just can't remember. I want to say Peter, but that may be an actor. Is it Douglas Fairbanks, the actor, and Peter Fairbanks, the pitcher for the Rays? Either way, he throws 98. So what Cash is going to have to do is find a way to win four games, and I'm talking Kevin Cash, not Brian Cashman, both nicknamed Cash, with not pitching your bullpen into the ground. Meanwhile, the Astros have a deep offensive team, only scored one run. People were shocked because they've been averaging six and a half runs a game the Rays will not be able to hold the Astros to one run four times. I think this series has a lot of games left. You saw what we did. You saw it in the wait to see, didn't you? Remember how I predict everything? Well, we got a prediction for the ALCS, and this was formulated and proven on Twitter before the series started. The Astros will win this series in seven games. That is the pick for the ALCS. Wait to see. What about the NLCS? It starts today. I am quite excited about that. It's the Dodgers against the Atlanta Braves. By the way, if you're watching this, thank you. Nothing personal with David Sampson. We have a YouTube channel. If you're watching this, just go to the YouTube channel and hit subscribe. The people at CBS want that to happen, and I don't know what it means, but we're in a contract drive here, folks. Coca needs some furniture. If you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcasts, thank you. We are a nominated sports podcast of the year. Thanks to you. Tell your friends about nothing personal. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And you know, we're here for you 45 minutes a day, every day. Because today's a holiday, but guess what? Coca's working. I'm working. We're here to inform you, entertain you, because breaking news doesn't take a day off. And neither do we. Until we do. So the Dodgers come in as the prohibitive favorites to win the World Series, to get past the Braves. The Braves have an offense to be jealous of. A top of the lineup that is unrivaled even by the Dodgers. Starting with Acuna, going into Freddie Freeman, getting Marcelo Zun in the three-hole who's playing as though we knew he could when he was a Marlin outfielder. When he wants a contract, he's a good player, and he wants a contract. Travis Darnot, remember Travis Darnot? He's now the cleanup hitter for the Braves, and he is on fire as their catcher. The, Brave, the Braves have pitching, 
a bullpen that is not as good as the Rays, but better than the Dodgers. They have starting pitching, not as good as the Dodgers. They start with Max Freed, who the Marlins handled. It is a critical game one today. If Max Freed gives up runs the way he did to the Marlins in their game one, where he gave up four runs, the most he'd given up all year, then it's going to be a pretty quick series. The Dodgers have Bueller and Kershaw in games one and two. They've got Julio Urias, who's going to get a start in this series. They've got Mookie Betts at the top of their lineup. They get production one through nine. They play defense. Their bullpen is a little suspect. Kenley Jansen has been good, not great. But when you look at the overall team, there is no match for the Dodgers. The Braves are the closest. We'll talk about the World Series when we get to it. I'm talking about the National League. Wait to see. The Dodgers will win this series in six games. Six games. Wait a minute. Did I just predict a wait to see that has the Astros playing the Dodgers in the World Series again? You're damn right I did. And I would do it again. And we're going to do it again. Can you imagine what a great storyline that is for MLB? Either Yankees-Dodgers, Astros-Dodgers, but now the Yankees are out. They want Astros-Dodgers, and believe me, they're going to get what they want because we said it here on Nothing Personal. And you know what? We're going to double down because we got the Nothing Personal pick of the day. The Nothing Personal pick of the day is the Dodgers. Bueller's going to beat Freed in game one. We're 26 and 18. Remember we took the Heat plus seven in game five? That was on, I guess, Friday. Well, the Heat didn't need the seven. They won the whole game. That's when the Lakers were in their mama jerseys and everyone said they were going to blow out the Heat. Didn't happen. Jimmy Butler, who had a great series, but is still not a superstar. Sorry, Coca. 26 and 18. Watch the Dodgers beat the Braves tonight. It's the second game. We have a double header. 4 p.m., 8 p.m., Be there or be square. Okay. I want to end the show talking a little football right now. We talked about what happened with Dak Prescott early on in the show. What we didn't talk about is what else happened this weekend. We're now, like baseball, a huge number of NFL teams and their schedule have been impacted by COVID. You heard us say on Nothing Personal that Roger Goodell would have to take his thumb out of his mouth and realize that he's going to have to be like baseball. They're going to have to move the schedule around in a way they've never done, the way they're uncomfortable doing, the way they don't want to do, but it's their only hope of having a season. We talked about the fact that when you move football games around, it's different than baseball. You don't play doubleheaders. They're not going to play two, three-quarter games. We talked about game preparation. You can't change a team's opponent on a Friday because there's a game plan that's put in for a specific team. It's not like where the Yankees can either play the Orioles or the Blue Jays. Just tell me where to go. Put the rosin bag out there and you play. It's not like that. Well, the NFL has now moved around games because the Patriots had another COVID test positive. They've moved by weeks for teams like the Dolphins, Broncos, Vikings, Titans, on and on. The Patriots who are trying to get past the Cam Newton positive COVID test. They're trying to live through their first season without Tom Brady. They're trying 
Believe you me, their sole focus is having a better record than the Buccaneers this year. I promise you, not just because it's nothing personal wait to see, because it is a total Bill Belichick ego. They must be better than the Bucs. Well, they've got a cornerback on their team named Jason McCourty, and Jason McCourty did not pull any punches. He is furious with the NFL Players Association. He's furious with the NFL. He gave a statement that said, and I will say kind of throughout all of this, the realization that it's not a league-wide thing. It's a team thing. For us in this locker room, this is what we have between the players and coaches, administration, the staff. It's up to us to kind of take care of one another to make sure physically we're all set. What's he talking about? Oh, we're going to get to it. To make sure mentally, wait for it, because here it is. It's the money sentence. Because I think outside of here, the people that don't have to walk in our building, whether it's the league office or whether it's the NFLPA, they don't care. For them, it's not about what's in our best interest, our health and safety. It's about, quote, what can we make protocol wise that sounds good, that looks good? How can we go out there and play games? So I think what I kind of learned personally throughout this situation, it's going to be up to us as the individuals in this building to take care of one another. Holy cow, McCordy went scorched earth. Remember, he has a twin brother on the team named Devin. Remember, they're twins. They have the same name. It's pretty cool, actually. The opposite of what happened in the NBA, where LeBron James takes the MVP trophy and thanks the commissioner. The owner takes the Larry O'Brien trophy out of the Louis Vuitton suitcase. What a great sponsorship I did, by the way. And thanks Adam Silver and all the employees for having the best interests of the players in mind and their health for appreciating and understanding what's going on with systemic racism and racial inequality. This is a nightmare for the NFL to have a comment like this because if you're Roger Goodell or you're Robert Kraft, and you see one of your players believe that you do not have the best interests of your players, either physical or mental well-being, and for you, it's about getting the games in no matter what, you have to change that narrative immediately. Because if you don't, you are risking losing sponsors. You are risking losing fans. You are risking losing money. And you know what is important to the NFL. And Jason McCourty has given you a roadmap and you better take it and you better fix what you're doing because you've got to deal with COVID and schedule changes and safety of your players right now. Because then you can keep your reputation intact because you and I both know for the NFL, it's just business. It's nothing personal.